So if you want, if you have a device or if you brought your Bible, extra points for that one. But otherwise, you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, And I guess here's the question I want to ask right up front is, uh, what is one thing that you want that if you were honest, you actually think if you had it, it it would give you satisfaction? It would make your life better. Now, kids who are still with us out there, here, if, what is something that you want? If you could just have this one thing, you know, if you had it, your life would feel so much more complete, so much more happy, and you might not complain as much to your parents. So I'm asking that question for both adults and kids. What is something that you desire that you're sure if you had it, it would make your life better? It would make your life feel more pleasurable, more happy, that you'd feel more satisfied. Because that question is really one of the questions that the teacher, that the author of Ecclesiastes is wanting to um, get at. It's one, he's wanting to deconstruct, so we're going to talk about that. But before, I just want to remind us that we're in a series in Ecclesiastes, which we started a couple weeks ago. Last week, I talked about Ecclesiastes 1, and just by way of, of reminder, we see that there are two authors here, or at least two narrators, two speakers one speaker being the author, the other speaker being this, this man named the teacher or the preacher. Uh, your Bible might say the, the, the one who, the instructor. Hebrew, it's the word kohelet. It's this idea of somebody who gathers an assembly, somebody who's wanting to instruct and wanting to teach. And what this teacher is going after is this idea of life being meaningless. The word there is havel. Now that is this idea of, of not just, I think vanity is probably what some translations translated as, but it's not just being vain, it's not just in the sense of being meaningless, it's this idea of being absurd, that life is absurd, life is an enigma, it's mysterious. If you look around at your life or the life of others, there's this sense of just not being able to get a handle on it. And we talked about that the teacher is wanting to really remind us that we cannot master or control life. And the biggest picture of how we cannot master or control life is in the reality of death, that we cannot keep ourselves alive, that that is something that is the end of us all. And so it's because of this absurdity of this enigma that it it causes these questions about how do we think about life? How do we understand what's important? And this book is wanting to push us toward wisdom. So what does it look like to live wisely as we pursue the good life, especially in, in this sense of it not being able to last forever, life under the sun, as the teacher describes. And so again, back to the question, what is something you want that you're sure if you had it would give you absolute and complete satisfaction? It would make you feel fulfilled. Because this, the teacher in Ecclesiastes 2, as we see him talk, is he had everything. And now this chapter is really important to understanding what's going to come after it, Because what we see this teacher as is a king who had everything. This isn't just simply somebody who was at the end of life, didn't have anything, and and became cynical about it. He was not a have-not. He was somebody who had a lot. And he gets to the end, and he realizes that it is completely and utterly meaningless. I mean, we see this right at the beginning. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2 says this, I said to myself, come now, I will make a test of pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But again, this was also vanity or absurd or an enigma. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? So again, questioning this sense 
of pleasure. Now, we might think, oh, pleasure has this negative connotation, but actually it doesn't here. It actually means something like joy or delight. It's the things that we actually want to pursue, that this is what the teacher is wanting to deconstruct. And he doesn't keep us in suspense about what the conclusions he will make about this, I, this pursuit of pleasure, because he says, ultimately, that it, too, is vanity, meaningless. It's completely absurd. It's an absolute enigma. And as we continue to go down into Ephesians 2, what we'll see is this list of accomplishments or this, this, these ways that the teacher pursued after wisdom. I can't help but think, this is, this is the teacher's Instagram feed, what he's going to give us. This list, hashtag YOLO, this is what it is. He says, Ecclesiastes 2, verses 4 through 8, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. Again, it's this epitome of desire of pursuing pleasure all the, all the way to the point of beginning to master other people. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and delights of the flesh and many concubines. So again, this is a person who literally had everything. And this is similar to like these lists that these kings would make back then to just show how great they were. All these kings would do things, they'd make lists so that people over time would be able to see all of their accomplishments and how wonderful their life was, how great of power they had, and what a great king they were. This king had everything, and at the end of the day, it meant nothing. He truly says that it is complete and utterly meaningless. Ecclesiastes 2, 9 through 11, so I became great. And I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done. Now think about that. Here is somebody who is considering everything that they've done, everything that they've made. They are looking at all of it, and all of the time that they spent doing it, and everything was vanity, was meaningless, was absurd, chasing after the wind. Again, that image of somebody trying to chase and catch the wind. It is completely and utterly ridiculous. And yet, the thing about Ecclesiastes is as it's telling us, we don't think, oh, we're learning something new. We're actually, no, this is, this is something we know. This, these aren't novel ideas, and yet it's something we struggle with every single day, this pursuing after pleasure as if it will give us what we ultimately want, what we ultimately desire. Now, what's also interesting about what's going on in Ecclesiastes 2 here is that there's, a, there's a, almost a re-narrating of the creation story. Now, if we were to look at these first few verses, you would see in many ways that this person is trying to create a life trying to create gardens and trees and talking about water, talking about people. We, we remember or we're reminded of Genesis chapter 1. The difference, though, is if you were to reread Ecclesiastes 2, how many times the word I or me comes up again and again. The speaker, the teacher here, 
can't help but locate himself as the center of all meaning, of all pleasure, and of all that he would want and desire. And that's, of course, in contrast to Genesis 1, where God is the primary mover, where God is the primary actor. He takes center stage. But God has been replaced by the teacher, as the teacher is narrating the type of life that he's made. I think what Ecclesiastes is wanting to do here is wanting to reveal to us all of the ways that we try to manufacture and manipulate life for our own pleasure. All the ways we try to manufacture and manipulate life so that we can squeeze as much pleasure out of it as we could possibly want. From the things we spend our money on, from the things that we look at, from the imagination that we have about certain things and the life that we wish we had, the things that we think would give us absolute pleasure, the teacher has had it all and says it is like chasing after the wind. It is completely absurd and ridiculous. And it's convicting because it at least is a mirror to me of all of the ways that I take center stage of my own life. That if I was going to retell my life, and I think this is an exercise for you to consider, and for those of you who are participating online, to consider, if you were to re-narrate your life, how many times would you use that first-person pronoun, I, or me? Rather than talk about all of the things that God has done or God has accomplished. I mean, this is just part of what it seems to be like to be human. How are we not how do we live other lives or other ways than this? How do we do that? And the thing about Ecclesiastes is the answers aren't actually all that clear. They aren't all that clear about what you do. He seems more interested in just showing us the types of lives that we live. That we are more concerned with these things like pleasure and satisfaction than we are with the ways that God would have us live. Like he ends the book with fear God and obey his commandments, that that becomes the main point of what it means to live life or what we're being pushed to do and how to live. But he does sort of lean into an answer at the end of Ecclesiastes 2, verses 24 through 25. He says, there's nothing better for mortals than to eat and drink and find enjoyment in their toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? All right, so we just had this teacher explain all of the ways that he sought after pleasure and it was lacking, but then we have this end where he says, well, eat and drink and enjoy, because how can we enjoy apart from God? Well, what the teacher is doing here is actually saying, well, it isn't the things that we pursue that actually gives us pleasure. Those things will always be lacking. But the fact that we have and that we live, that becomes an opportunity for us to receive the gift of God's presence, the gift of his life, not because of what we can get or squeeze out of it, but because we actually already have it. There's this wonderful phrase in this book, uh, Barking at the Choir by Father Gregory Boyle, and he says something like this. I'm going to butcher it, but you'll get the idea. He says, if you want what you have, then you have everything. If you want what you have, then you have everything. 
That's, of course, opposite of if you have what you want, then you have everything. If we can get to a point, if we can allow God to work in our lives, that we become content, or if we become, to, we become people who want what we already have, then we already have everything. So Ecclesiastes, in this weird, complex wisdom, is wanting to expose all of the ways that we seek after satisfaction and enjoyment and wants to remind us, look, all the ways that you think you will find happiness, they will always and completely be lacking. But if you can receive the gift that life already is, the one that God has given to us, that is enjoyment. That is God's gift to us. And so as I think about what the word might be for us at Grace or people here in our context now, it's to be people who recognize the gift that enjoyment actually is. So if you enjoy something and think about when the last time was you actually enjoyed something, when you enjoy something for what it is, not what it can give you, then that becomes a gift that God has given when enjoyment actually links up with the lives that we live, that becomes one of the greatest gifts that we can be given. And it's given completely and utterly from God. So if we were a community of people who wanted what we had, if we were a community of people who were thanking God for the enjoyment that he's made possible, then I wonder what type of witness we would be in the world. Not of surplus, not of, not of amazing Instagram feeds, but of, of people who were contented and had enough and were then able to follow after God and to give all that we had. I think of the words of Jesus in the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, blessed, blessed are those who are in need. It's this sense of, of, of actually in our, in our need or in our lack or in our ability to just recognize the small things that we have, that becomes a way that we experience the blessedness of God, the happiness as that word refers to, of God. So may that be our word for us. May that be our call to us as Christians, is to be people who, who don't chase after pleasure as if it can give us something, but who receives the gift we have as the gift that it is, which is from God himself. So let us, let us pray. God, you are, you are the one who gives. You are the one who, who links up our enjoyment with what we're doing. And when that happens, I pray that we would turn our attention to you in utter gratitude, in complete in utter gratitude. And God, I ask that you would do that in our lives, that you would shape and form us in such a way that we would be a community of people who are grateful, who are thankful. It's in Jesus' name I pray.